This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Okay, open your Bibles wherever you want to. Now, does everybody have a real Bible today? Now you're gonna, amen. Now you're gonna want a Bible, a notebook, and a pen. This is a Bible study. This is not just a sermon. I'm not trying to preach for your entertainment, nor am I trying to preach for your comfort. I'm trying to instruct you. God wants me to instruct you in righteousness, and I desire for you to grow up in him. I desire you to become everything you need to be in Christ Jesus. We're starting a new series today, and that series has to do with the Holy Spirit. It's called By the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. And today I'm going to be talking to you about the person, the power, and the work of the Holy Spirit. The person, the power, and the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is probably one of the most exciting messages that I think I could ever bring. And I'm going to introduce you to someone that can really have an impact on your life. First and foremost, we have to understand that the Spirit or the Holy Spirit is a person. Now, people say, Pastor Tom, you're always saying that. I'm saying it because I want you to get it. I want you to get the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person. And this is revealed in many ways throughout the Scripture. Primarily, the Bible repeatedly and consistently uses personal pronouns when it refers to him. Things like he's called he, him, never it. Not once in the Bible is the Holy Spirit referred to as an it or some inanimate object. We also understand that he does things that are associated with personality. He teaches, he inspires, he guides, he leads, he grieves. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. He convicts of sin. Many other things that he does. Impersonal objects do not have personality. They don't behave in this manner. Only a person can do these kinds of things. But the Holy Spirit is seen in Scripture not merely as personal but also as fully divine he is god acts chapter 5 i want to i want you to see this this is a very interesting story and in acts chapter 5 we 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 get a taste of the holy spirit it says now a man named ananias together with his wife sapphira sold a piece of property with the wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and laid it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart so that you have, if you're going to underline something, underline this, so that you have lied to the Holy Spirit. How has Satan filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money that you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? 
you have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Now, in theology, when you see a statement like this, this is very powerful because this is showing you something. First of all, it says, how is it that Satan filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? And in the same breath, he says, you haven't lied to human beings, you lied to God. So now wait, if he lied to the Holy Spirit and he lied to God, then that means that the Holy Spirit and God are the same. See, there's some teaching today that teaches that the Holy Spirit is different from Jesus and that Jesus is different from God and that there's three different entities and there's three different expressions. Some religions believe that. Some cults believe that. Some sects of Christianity believe that. But we know for a fact that God is what we, what we would, it's not a biblical terminology, but what we would say is he's triune. It's a way of describing three in one. And that's important because the Holy Spirit is God. This sin of Ananias and Sapphira was that they were pretending. They were pretending that their donation to the church was greater than it was. They lied about the nature of the gift that they were making to God. You see, what had happened was a guy named Barnabas had sold his piece of, he sold his whole farm and he gave the full proceeds to the church. He laid it at the apostles' feet. And it brought him such renown. In fact, they changed his name. They called him the son of encouragement. So these people thought, hey, you know what? We want, to be, we want to be seen in front of people just like him. We want to be like him. We want to be a big deal in the church. And so they sold their farm. But they kept back some for themselves. Which is fine. That's your farm. It, it was the farm God gave you stewardship over. But they pretended that they, that they were giving it all like Barnabas did. And in the early church, the Holy Spirit couldn't allow that. Because this is the foundation of the church. He says, no. I won't tolerate that. I think Peter was more concerned about the state of their souls than about the amount of money that they were contributing. Nevertheless, though, the words of Peter's rebuke to Ananias and Sapphira are amazing. He began by asking a question. He says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? But he concluded by saying, you have not lied to man, but to God. So the lie that Ananias told to the Holy Spirit was actually a lie to God. That simply means that the Holy Spirit is God. Also, some other attributes of the Holy Spirit is that he is eternal. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14, this is a good verse to, to, to for, for when people talk about the Holy Spirit, this is a good verse to remember. Hebrews 9 and verse 14 says, how much more then Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, who through the eternal spirit, who's the eternal spirit? 
See the capital S? That's the Holy Spirit. So the, how much more will, will, then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. You have to understand that the Holy Spirit is an eternal spirit. He's eternal. God is eternal. It's a very powerful word. The Holy Spirit is also omniscient. How many of you know only God is omniscient? So to be omniscient, you have to be God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Verses 10 and 11, look what it says. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. That's a powerful verse of scripture. How many of you know only you know your real thoughts on the inside of you by the spirit that's on the inside of you? And how many of you know, and, and that's the real you, that's the real you. And so guess who the real God is? The Holy Spirit. They're one. These are powerful verses of scripture. This is important for you to understand. These are attributes of God. He's eternal. He's all-knowing. He's a person. I need you to know that. See, we see the Holy Spirit sharing in the Trinitarian work of creation. We also see him sharing in the Trinitarian work of redemption. How many of you know those are pretty important things? The whole, new, the whole Old Testament starts out with creation. And it points to redemption. The whole Bible is about redemption. And who's right in the middle of it? We see the Holy Spirit. In Genesis 1, we see that our Heavenly Father commanded the world to come into being. God the Father speaks the world into existence. He commands it into existence. In the New Testament, it tells us the agent through whom the Father brings the universe into existence. And that agency is the Logos, the Word. He speaks the word. Now we know that the Logos, that word, is the second person of the Trinity. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 John 3 says, all things were made through him. And without him, not anything was made that was made. That's a powerful scripture. Everything was made through who? God speaking, the Logos, Jesus being the word that went forth. God and his word are one. God's word is powerful. That's why today when we were worshiping and the power of God came down and a man of God or one of you even can hear a word of knowledge. I didn't want to withhold that. I wanted to come and share a word of knowledge. Why? To set captives free, to bind up broken hearts, to heal the sick, to restore the blind. That's what God's about. God wants to do that in your life. It's the same principle. But here we're seeing it at creation. Don't take my word for this. Do your own research. (laughs) 
You need to look up John 1.1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Who is the Word? That's Jesus. And he was with God in the beginning. And through him, who? The Word. All things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And the light was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Then in John 1.14 it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and nothing was made except through the Word. God spoke the Word and created. But then the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. That's Jesus. Does that make sense? What, what do you think is happening in your life every single day when you read the Bible, when you study the Word of God? The Word is becoming flesh in you. You're renewing your mind. You're becoming what the Word says you are. And there's an agency by which that takes place. It's called the Holy Spirit. See, the Spirit is involved in this work of creation. I want to show you his part in it. In Genesis 1 and verse 2, the Bible says, The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That's a powerful verse of scripture. Out of this energizing work of the spirit, life was brought forth. Let me try to describe it for you and I. God the Father still loves you. And he still sends his word to you. And the Holy Spirit is hovering. And he has a purpose. His hovering over you is to bring about the word of God in your life. To perform it in your life. Some of you, he's hovering and you're resisting him. You can resist the spirit of grace. Some of you are not only resisting, you're grieving him. You're failing of his grace. How many of you know when the Holy Spirit's convicting you of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment? Anyway, I want you to also see that not only is creation a Trinitarian work, but so is redemption. Redemption's a work of the Trinity. The Father sent the Son into the world. 1 John 4 and verse 14 says, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. God sent his word into the world, his Son into the world. The Son performed all the work that was necessary for our salvation. He did it all. He lived out a perfect life, a life of perfect obedience, and he died on the cross to make a perfect satisfaction sacrificially for man's sins. Philippians 3 and verse 9 says, And being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Whew. Paul's talking to the Philippian church. He's talking about, hey, I found that I have a righteousness that doesn't come from the law or that's my own, but it's through faith in Christ. 
a faith based that comes from God on the basis of faith. 1 Corinthians 15 says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now here's the thing. We see that God sends Christ. God sends his son. Christ is God. He is the word made flesh. Jesus paid for the sin of all mankind. Every single person's sin has been paid for. But it does us no good. There is no benefit. There, none of these things avail to our benefit unless they're applied to us personally. Therefore, the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit into the world to apply salvation to us, to make application of this salvation in our lives. Look at John 15, 26. If you don't open your Bible for any other verse, open it for this one. Circle it. Mark it. Put it in red. I don't know what you have to do, but look at what it says. It says, when the advocate, this is Jesus speaking. He says, when the advocate or the comforter comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. What a, what a powerful, somebody says, I don't believe in the Trinity. Wait a minute. When the advocate comes, Jesus, the word is speaking, the Son of God, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, <laughs> he will testify about me. If there's a verse of Scripture that deals with the Trinity, that's it right there. But if there's a verse of Scripture that shows you how God works, this is it. An advocate whom Jesus will send from the Father, who is the spirit of truth, and God is truth. And if he is truth, and this is the spirit of truth, it's God who goes out from the Father and will testify about the Son. That's a verse of Scripture. You could camp on that for a lifetime. You see, the role of the Holy Spirit, chiefly and principally in the New Testament, is to apply the work of of Jesus Christ to the believer's life. The believer. In short, the person of the Holy Spirit is not simply some abstract force. Sometimes we think, ooh, the power. We're so enamored with power. We're so enamored with the force of God that we forget that he's a person. He's a person who empowers the people of God to be Christ-like, to live this Christian life. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about being born again. Born again. John, in his gospel, writes in John 3, verses 1 through 5. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus is, uh, 
comes to Jesus at night. I, I think he's probably nervous. He's, I think, uh, he didn't want to be seen with Jesus. But he came, and he comes with flattery. He comes complimenting Jesus. Oh, as a teacher come from God. You know, I was in the gym the other day, and there's a guy there, and I'm, I talk to everybody at the gym, and there's a guy talking to me, and, you know, he says uh, to me, he says uh, something like, well, uh, he's kind of mocking a little bit, you know, because you, you don't, nobody knows how to talk to a preacher anyway. <laughs> but he's kind of mocking. He says, he says, oh, I should probably come to church. I should probably, you know, you, you should probably pray or do something for me. I said, no, I don't think you're really ready to hear the gospel. I said, I don't think you're ready. He was shocked. So what do I need to do? I said, no, I don't think you're ready for this. I said, you know. And he's not. He's not ready for the gospel. He's, he, he, he's toying. He's playing. But, but God will get the guy because I'm praying for him now. You see, don't try to plant a seed. Don't, don't try to prepare the soil. Plant the seed. Water the seed. Have the seed grow and get the harvest all in the same time you're with somebody. Give it time. I'm saying to a lot of people, now nah, you're not ready for this yet. You, you, you're not ready. What do you mean I'm not ready? Well, you're not ready. Even if I told you the truth about Jesus, I don't think you're really ready to receive him. You're not ready yet. You need some more seed. You need some more water. Guys, know what you're doing, okay? Anyway, I don't know how I got on that sidetrack. But Nicodemus was not ready yet. But he's hungry. He, so he shows up and he's flattering Jesus. But, you know, I love the way Jesus works. Jesus cut him short. Jesus cut him off. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, in verse 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I'm telling you today, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You must be born again to see the kingdom of God. Jesus said that the rebirth, being born again, is a necessary condition for entering the kingdom of God. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. If you are not regenerate, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus didn't understand, and he interpreted Jesus' words in a very crass and very physical way. He says, in verses 4 and 5, he said, he asked, how can a man be born when he is old? <laughs> can he enter in a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered him a second time and said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. He answered him a second time, unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Now, how many of you have been born of water? Do you even know what that means? It's not baptism. Born of water, now this is really, this is hard. But when your mother gave birth to you, the water broke. And when the water broke, you were born of water. So now tap your neighbor and ask those that didn't raise their hand, were you born of water? 
Was there anybody that was born any other way? I would really like to meet you after the service, and uh, you are an alien, okay? You are not a human being. Born of water. But the Bible says, unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't see the kingdom of heaven, let alone enter it. Don't you think it's important we understand how to be born of the Spirit? See, the idea of being born again, by the way, uh, or, or experiencing the rebirth, this is not some invention that Billy Graham made up or Reinhard Bonnke made up or the evangelical Christians made up. This is the teaching of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You must be born again. You know, I hear some people talking about, you know, oh, this, this new born-again movement. This is no new movement. This is Christianity 101. We are born again. Jesus says you must be born again by the Spirit. Now, this teaching is very, very important because in it, Jesus mentions a necessary condition for entering the kingdom. You can't enter the kingdom. This is, this is important. Now, it really distresses me. I, I get really, really upset when I hear somebody say, I'm a born-again Christian. I'm a born-again Christian. Well, what's wrong with that? People say, well, what other kind of Christian is there? If rebirth is absolutely essential in order to get into the kingdom of God, as Jesus said it is, there cannot be such thing as a non-born-again Christian. What are you, a non-born-again Christian? And to say born-again Christian is like saying I'm a Christian Christian. I'm a Christian Christian. It's redundant. It's a redundancy. It's a kind of a theological stuttering. On the other hand, it is possible to be a born-again non-Christian. And you hear it all the time. I'm a born-again Muslim. I'm a born-again Buddhist. Well, I want to tell you something. If they are born again in the New Testament sense, they're no longer Muslims nor are they Buddhists. They are now believers in Jesus Christ. They have been born again. Now, we don't have to take the title Christian, but we do have to take the title born again. Because it's biblical. So, The only people who are born again are those who are believers in Jesus Christ. So we must have an accurate 
understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit in the, nat in the spiritual rebirth. And I want you to have that today. So I'm going to break it down just a little bit further. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2, go ahead and turn there, verses 1 through 7. This is a very powerful verse of scripture because I, I want you to see the nature and the work of the Holy Spirit in the new birth, in being born again. In Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 7, get your pen out. You're going to circle something here. Two words. As for you, you were dead in your trespasses or your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the air or the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Catch this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, circle these two words, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that the, in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. The, the, the language and the imagery that the Apostle Paul uses in this passage has to do with life and death. He's talking about coming out of death into life. He declares that we as Christians have been made alive. Made alive. That's a powerful verse. You've been made alive. Tell, tell, tell your neighbors that. You've been made alive. Yeah, you sound like it. Tell your other neighbors. Say, you have been made alive. Now, if we are now alive, what were we previously? We were dead in trespasses, dead in sins and sin. So Paul is talking about some kind of a resurrection. He's talking about some kind of transformation of people who were dead that come into a, a new life. That's what it means to be born again. So we need to understand what kind of death is in view here. What, what, what is the death that Paul's talking about? Paul's not talking about a physical resurrection. Although, tap the neighbor next to you and see if they are still alive. Okay, just check and see. See, if you're still alive, then you don't need to be resurrected in your body. He's not talking about physical resurrection because he's not talking about physical death. The people who have been made alive by the Holy Spirit were living. They were breathing biological specimens before they were experienced. This new birth. You see, before I became a Christian, my heart was beating, my lungs were filled and emptying. <sighs> my brain was active. But I was spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. I was dead to the things of God because I existed solely and completely in what Jesus and the apostles called the flesh. I was living in the flesh. And we see this in this story with Nicodemus. Go back to the book of uh, John chapter 3. 
Because in this conversation with Nicodemus, Nicodemus, after he's just explained that no one can enter the kingdom of God or no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born of water or if he's born again, born of water and born of the Spirit, Jesus goes on in verses 6 through 8 and says this. You see, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So is it with everyone born of the Spirit. Oh, man, I'll tell you what. This is exciting stuff. Flesh is giving birth to flesh. But the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. See, Jesus is distinguishing between the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of human flesh. He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. But he was speaking of people. He wasn't just simply saying that human beings are born with physical bodies. That's, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about your physical body. He's not talking about the flesh of the body. He, he's talking about your fallen nature. He means that you were born in a fallen state. A fleshly state. This means that you didn't have spiritual life. Instead, you were born spiritually dead. Now this is hard for some people to understand. In fact, there is nothing in all of the Bible that is more repugnant to modern man than the assertion that every human being is born into a, date, a state of spiritual death. The idea is even resisted in certain sects and denominations of, of our Christian community. But I want you to know this. Most Christians, if not all, acknowledge that there's some kind of defect in the human race. Many of the reformers said that man was totally depraved. It's called the total depravity of man. When you study theology, you'll find out that most of your reformers believe that man was totally irredeemable except through Christ because he was totally depraved. Total depravity of man. It's a, it's a doctrine. No good thing in man. Most of you would say, well, I think there's a defect in the human race. There's we're all sinners. Nobody's perfect. But there's not one Christian in a hundred that really believes that every human being is already spiritually dead when he or she comes into the world. Even Billy Graham used to talk about the natural man. And he'd say, his, his message was, the natural man is mortally sick. And he'd go to the extent of saying 99% dead. But he could never go 100%. Isn't that strange? So pervasive is the rejection of the idea that even some of the leading Christian spokesmen are willing to contradict it. They do not embrace the idea of total spiritual death. Yet, if we want to read the Bible and hold to the truth, 
That's exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying. Here's what he's saying. He says, we are dead on arrival spiritually. We're not just weak. We're not just ailing. We're not critically ill, nor are you comatose. Well, maybe. Can you tap the person next to you? Is anybody comatose? No. When you arrive on this planet, there is no spiritual heartbeat, no spiritual breathing, no spiritual brainwave activity. We are spiritually stillborn. And we remain so unless the God, unless God, the Holy Spirit, makes us alive. He makes us alive. You don't believe me? Don't take my word for it. Do your own research. Paul tells us in Ephesians, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in, once, in, in which you once walked. You were what? You were kind of dead? You were what? You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. He's addressing Christians. This book is written to Christians. To the, Ephesus, the church of Ephesus. Now, all Christians at some point in their lives are non-Christians. Have you ever thought about that? And all non-Christians manifest a pattern of behavior. Paul says that those who are spiritually dead follow a course and a prince. They follow a course and a prince. In Romans 3, Paul says this, none is righteous. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Man, I don't know. Those are pretty strong words. Not one. You're all dead except for Christ. No one does good except by the spirit of life who makes us alive. Do you understand how powerful and how important the Holy Spirit is in our lives? Hear Paul say, everybody's turned aside. Everybody's doing their own thing. They've gone out of the way. They've gone out of the way. <sighs> if by nature we don't seek God, is it any surprise that we shouldn't be in the way? In fact, it's fascinating to me that the New Testament followers of Jesus Christ never even refer to themselves as Christians. Did you know that? They were first called Christians at Antioch. That's found in Acts 11.26. But it is be it, it's believed that this term was created by the Roman soldiers 
as a mockery. They were mocking those people that were the followers of Christ. And they called them, oh, here come the Christians. And in the, in the Roman uh, and Greek languages that was spoken in that era, that, that meant little Christs. Oh, these little Christs, they all think they're like Christ. Oh, a Christ, these Christians. The word of the phrase that the Christians used to describe themselves was people of the way. People of the way. Don't take my word for it. Go do your own research. I don't know if you were watching television recently, but uh, do you remember when all the massacre of Christians began to take place? They don't cover it anymore. They're still being massacred, by the way. Christians are being massacred at a rate that have never been greater than they are today. There's an onslaught, anti-Christ spirit against Christianity. And it's coming to a city near you very soon. But when the people were being massacred in Syria and in uh, Iran and Iraq and all these places, the news reporters were even talking about these were the people of the cross that were being mur murdered and massacred. That the, they called themselves, we're the people of the cross. These Christians had identified with the cross, were the people of the cross. Well, the early Christians identified themselves as the people of the way. In fact, they were known as the way. That reminds me of a little lady that, you know, was in the church when we first started the church. And, uh, you know, she was quite stroppy, caused lots of problems in the church. And uh, whenever you try to correct her, she says, I've been in the way for 55 years. I said, I know I'm trying to get you out of the way. <laughs> But we want to be in the way. Amen? Hallelujah. And, you, and see, they were in the way because they had heard Jesus talk about two ways. He says there's a, a way that is broad. And the broad way leads to death. He says there's another way, a narrow way that leads to life. That's found in Matthew 7, the 13th verse. But the vast majority of people are moving down the wrong road. In fact, all of us started on the wrong road. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We followed the way of Satan. Does this make sense? For broad is the pathway of this world. But Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 3, he says, this is the way we all lived at one time. So to be spiritually dead is to be worldly. It is to buy into and follow the slavish nature and values and customs of the secular culture. Not only do the spiritually dead follow the course, follow the pathway of this world, but they follow the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2, 2, 2. Is there any question who Paul has in mind here when he talks about the prince of the power of the air? 
By the way, do you know how that works? You and I, the, the Bible tells us that there's three heavens. On the first heaven, that's where you and I live. <sighs> Thank God for this atmosphere. Thank God we have oxygen. Thank God this is where we live in the first heaven. The second heaven is the prince of the power of the air. He has a kingdom set up there where it mirrors what he wants on earth, and it mirrors as a counterfeit what's in heaven. Many Christians today never make it to third-level worship, third-level ministry. They never are in the presence of God. They settle for compromise. They settle for spiritual activity from the second heaven. All the divinations. There's a difference between a gift of the Holy Spirit and a spirit, a counterfeit spirit. There are angelic beings from heaven and then there are fallen angels. Just because it's supernatural doesn't mean that it's God. There's a spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. All of those who are spiritually dead follow the desires of Satan in rejecting God, in rejecting his righteous requirements. So this is our natural state. This is how we're born. This is the picture of what theology calls original sin. I grew up in the Catholic Church and we always talk about original sin and then sins. Sins of omission, sins commission. Original sin. This is original sin. It's the state of mortal corruption, spiritual death into which every human being is born. It's a ministry, it, it, and it's the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit to come to the people who are spiritually dead, who are walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, fulfilling the lusts of their flesh and of their minds, and it's his job to recreate them, make them alive as he regenerates them. Now, that word regenerate means to generate anew. To take something that is not generate and generate it anew. Whew. By means of regeneration, the Spirit gives life to people who have had no spiritual life, who have no spiritual life. So think about this. Regeneration is a work that the Holy Spirit does immediately on the souls of people. And when I say immediately, it doesn't mean quickly, but without any intervening medium. In other words, he does not give a person a dose of medicine. He's not trying to make you better. Instead, the Spirit directly brings spiritual life out of spiritual death. You are immediately born again. You are immediately made alive. You know, you can, you can see this parallel throughout the scriptures. Do you remember when the, uh, the angel Gabriel came to Mary? When the angel Gabriel came to Mary, he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. You know what? She didn't take six months to get pregnant. The minute that the Holy Spirit came upon her, she was carrying the Son of God. 
It was immediate. It's the same word, same idea about being born again. So, in closing, it's in this sense that we see a kind of recapitulation in redemption of the power of the Holy Spirit manifested in creation. You see, the same God who created the world redeems the world. The work of creation was Trinitarian, just like the work of redemption was Trinitarian. Again, we see it clearly in Genesis 1. It says in Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. You know, it's amazing. These are the first sentences of the Torah of the Old Testament. If you'll go study, the word bereshit is the first word. And in that first word, the whole gospel is in that one word. Don't take my word for it. Go do your own research. Bereshit. But here's what I want you to understand something. Notice what happens at the creation. Immediately after this verse, the earth was without form and void and darkness is over the face of the deep. We read a description of God's activity in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the emptiness, in the midst of the formlessness. And it says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That's what God does in your life. He's hovering over the dead spirits of men. He's, he's hovering. Seven times a day we praise you, Lord. We remember you. We're graced by you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this spirit is hovering. What? To make alive. You know, if you study the, throughout the scriptures, especially the New Testament, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit rests upon people. He's hovering. He came to rest on Jesus. Jesus made a place for him. Jesus opened his heart. Jesus came up out of the waters of baptism. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and rested upon him. On the day of Pentecost, they were, for 120 people were in an upper room waiting for God. Waiting. God, Jesus had told them, tarry for me. Wait for me until that which I have promised, my spirit comes to you. And what does it do? The Bible says, and there while they were in that upper room, the spirit rested on them as cloven tongues of fire. The Spirit is waiting for a place to rest. And even today, for those of you that are born again, that's why we pray because the Spirit wants to make alive. He wants to make a, pla make a place for Him to rest on your life. Can, he can, he can we do that? That's why we must go out and preach the gospel because signs and wonders follow the preaching of the Word. People get saved when we tell them about the good news. They're bound in death. They're dead. This is a picture of that word hover. Brood. That's the word it uses in one version. The, the spirit was brooding over the face of the deep. It's, it's a picture of a mother bird hovering over her chicks to protect them. I guess Jesus kind of expressed this when he was lamenting over the city of Jerusalem, he said, Oh, Jerusalem, 
Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing? We see the Spirit, the Spirit of God hovering over the creation to guide it, to protect it. And so he does the same in the work of regeneration in our lives. Scripture makes it clear that one of the things that God and God alone can do is to bring life out of death and something out of nothing. I mean, the next thing that happens in the creation was the creation of energy, light. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. There was a combination of what God said, the Word, God Himself, His Word, and the Spirit bringing it to pass. And it didn't take forever. It didn't take 10,000 years for light to come to pass. It didn't take 10 billion years. It was God who created. God didn't have to go turn on a switch or rub sticks together to make light. Energy. His sovereign command formed the light. And it's the same way that his divine power brings forth life when someone's born again. When Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus, after his dear friend had been dead for four days, the Bible says his body surely stinketh by now. The Bible says he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Those words were spoken by Jesus Christ. Lazarus' heart instantly began to beat. It instantly began to pump blood. His brain activity resumed. Life returned to that body, and he came forth out of the tomb. And that is exactly what happens to you and I, only spiritually in our rebirth. The same spirit who brought life and creation out of the abyss of confusion and darkness. And the same Spirit who brought Lazarus back from the dead raises you and I from spiritual death by causing us to be born a second time. who the Holy Spirit is. He's brooding over every person here. He is brooding over the chaos of your life. He's brooding over the fact that you are not alive. You can't come to Christ. You cannot come to Christ except by faith, by grace. God woos people to himself. If you're here and you don't know Christ, it's not by accident. You didn't just show up. You didn't do this. God has orchestrated it, and His Spirit is waiting for you, touching you. Just as God illustrated this morning, you didn't want to come to church this morning, but somehow you brought yourself here. Why? 
God wanted to show you. He wanted to touch you. He wanted to let you know that I have your back. I know your situation. I can even find you in a crowd. The Spirit is brooding over your life every day. For those that are believers, He's not done with you. He's working. But tap into Him. Touch Him. Let Him do what He can do. Can we do this? I'm going to ask our pastors to come and take the front of the auditorium here. And I'm going to ask everybody in the auditorium to stand up. I'm going to pray for you. And then we're going to open this altar. I believe that you're here today. And some of you don't know why you're here. I'm telling you why you're here. The Spirit draws men to Himself. It's the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you're not born again, you've never given your life to Christ. You've never been born again. Today's your day. Today's your day. In a minute, I'm going to ask you to come to the altar. Anybody who's here that's not born again, come to the altar. Meet with one of our pastors. Just tell them, say, I'm not born again, but today's my day. I'm going to be born again. The Spirit drew me here. I want to be made alive. Made alive by the Spirit. But maybe you're here today and you say, man, I've, I'm just, I've gone back to living by the course of this world. Following the sins of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. Settling for that which is temporary instead of that which is eternal. I need to repent. There's an altar here. We meet God at altars. Come and kneel at the altar. Come and talk to a pastor. Confess your sins. Say, that's me. And I need God. I, I, I need this Holy Spirit. I need to be made alive. Or maybe you just need somebody to hug you or somebody just to counsel you or just to talk to you or somebody to pray with you. Whatever your need is today. Hallelujah. The altar's open. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.